Hello, you're listening to the Europe in the World podcast. I'm Juliana Burns, and I'm here today with Dr. Isabella Trometa, who is a visiting researcher at the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University. Hi, Isabella. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about your background and research? Hi, Juliana. Thank you for inviting me here. Um, yes, of course. So I uh, have a PhD in global studies, and during the PhD, I focused on my maritime borders in the central Mediterranean. And before and during my PhD studies, I worked uh, with the NGO SOS Mediterranean, which is an NGO that um, does rescue at sea in the central Mediterranean. I was with them for four years, and uh, at the beginning of my work with them, I was on the boat Aquarius with a search and rescue mission. That's really great. I think that you can provide us with a lot of more in-depth analysis and information about some of the questions that uh, me and my peers have decided are important to the topic of migration, especially in the context of EU and how regulations and legislation are changing all the time. So we really appreciate you coming out to help answer some questions. Um, The first question that I have for you is, what is the biggest challenge that the EU is facing right now when it comes to migration? Um, that's a great question. And I, I think that one of the main problems when looking at migration policies in Europe right now is, and especially in the context of the central Mediterranean, is not distinguishing between international duties to rescue people at sea and then the policies related to the integration of migrants. Having been at sea uh, and having witnessed the hardship and the conditions in which the people are left to die, I think that's unacceptable. And even though I can't say it's the biggest challenge, because I I don't know that, um, it is definitely something that needs to be tackled as soon as possible and with the most respect for human life as possible. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I I think that the biggest challenge in itself as a question is, of course, subjective. So that's a bit of a difficult question to ask, but it's interesting to see how that answer varies. And it's definitely a very difficult thing to have to witness that in person. And I think you've been put in a in a lucky but hard position to have to witness that. But at the same time, the work that you're doing is really valuable to um, improving that situation. So I have the second question that I have for you is what would you say is the biggest item that the EU can approve on when accepting refugees during a crisis in terms of the uh, process itself? Um, I think that there are two things um, I would say, again, distinguishing between the two steps of rescue at sea and then the quote-unquote acceptance of people into the country. As for rescue at sea, I think that it's most urgent to create a coordinated effort uh, between the European member states to actually be out at sea, rescue people, and then swiftly let them disembark into the European Union, into the countries of the European Union, um, because the current uh, situation is unacceptable with people being left to wait for a port of safety for days, weeks, and sometimes close to a month. Um, so that would be the first one, a coordinated effort. And then definitely the creation of more legal pathways into the European Union for migrants uh, so, so as to reduce the burden on asylum requests uh, that there is um, in the territory. Um, I, I, I myself have met a lot of individuals who've 
tried to find um, several different legal pathways into the EU when I spent some time there as well. And just hearing their stories of all of the different like hoops they had to jump through just to get a chance to try and find a legal pathway given um, their background and the levels of education and what skills they have to offer to the EU is quite heartbreaking because a lot of people don't necessarily have the chance to even obtain the skills in their home country that would be deemed valuable to the EU. So definitely more legal opportunities, I think, would be a great help to the crisis as well. So I agree. What is the biggest challenge that the that you think the EU has uh, done a good job of addressing um, so far? So the inverse of the previous question. Hmm. Well, whenever I'm asked questions like this, I always like to cite Dante Alighieri in saying that posterity, posterity will judge in the sense that we can't really judge what's happening right now. But I will say that Italy and the EU did a really good job uh, in 2013 at first responding to the refugee crisis, so-called refugee crisis at sea, with the first Operation Mare Nostrum and the first very strong response to the need of rescuing at sea. Um, whether or not that is the biggest challenge and the best-based challenge, um, it's not for me to say, uh, but definitely the fact that now there's a reduced a reduced force uh, for for rescue at sea doesn't mean that there's less need. Great, thank you. The last question I have for you is: Do you believe that the current migration system is stable, or should we expect changes to the immigration system to occur in the next years? And if so, what do you think the most pressing changes will be that we'll see? Um, well, I, I definitely don't think that a system that is not coordinated between European countries can be sustainable long term and over time, especially when we look at maritime migration. Um, and while uh, I understand that it will and would be difficult to create strong consensus over delegating certain migration issues to the EU, it is definitely an effort that member states should focus on and should do in order to prevent further loss of lives and internal discontent and uh, conditions of living for migrants that are already on the territory that are unacceptable. Thank you. Aside from the questions that I've asked you in your time getting your PhD and as a doctor, as a visiting researcher, you obviously spend um, a lot of time hands-on with uh, materials and trying to gain a better understanding of what's going on, which is like definitely difficult given we're overseas and not there to witness it firsthand. Um, do you have any recommendations for where our audience can go to learn more about the EU and its migration system, some that you found helpful in your research or in your personal time? Yes, definitely the one advice I would give uh, someone who wants to try and understand what's happening, which is not at all easy, is to think critically about what's being said and who is saying it. So when reading the news or reading articles or listening to the radio or podcasts like this one, um, to try and pay attention to, um, for example, who's using what word to describe what or who, you know, and um, 
Definitely, I always strongly advise having been a communications officer to uh, both read the news, uh, keep up with the news, which is not always sustainable, but also then listen to all the different voices. So um, read the NGOs, press releases, and uh, look at the different act, what different actors say uh, in the sector. That's great. Thank you. The last one is more to talk about your personal, like professional life. Do you have any um, projects that you've worked on that you would like our listeners to consider checking out that are available to the public? So I'm currently working on um, a book chapter that hopefully will be published soon about the category of boat people. Um, And it's about how the lack of of uh, categories in the world of migration, categories that are structured in international law and in law, leaves space for the creation of, let's call it unofficial categories um, that are then created in public uh, opinion, in public speaking, like, like boat people, like economic migrants, which are a category that are um, used, but at the same time, not defined anywhere. And that then make it so that uh, big groups of people have to be forcibly put inside the pre-existing boxes that do exist in in law, leaving a a very complicated situation where you have, for example, migrants who are fleeing situations uh, caused, for example, by climate change or by natural disasters, who are in a way or the other forced to request uh, for asylum, which is one of the few international protection um, protocols that do exist and that are put in place, but don't necessarily fit that category in the sense that it was um, created and intended in the 1951 convention. That's really interesting. I've never really considered the fact that asylum really has the connotation of, you know, fleeing you know, conflict and not necessarily conflicts that a lot of people in academia um, and who are doing research and obviously understand that are crises, but aren't as fully embraced yet, such as climate change in certain parts of the world. So that's definitely, of course, a need for asylum. And I think um, progress on the definition of that will definitely help, like you said, with the improvement of the legal process and yeah. So is there anything else you'd like to add to our podcast that you think would be beneficial? No, just great job and keep doing good. Great. Thank you so much. Um, no, no problem. Thank you for listening to the Europe in the World podcast, and we hope you enjoyed learning more about migration and borders in the EU.